You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in the fifth week of our series called Battle Ready, which is all about spiritual warfare. And what we've been talking about during this series is something that you're probably familiar with, but we're going verse by verse through Ephesians 6, and we're talking about the armor of God. In the vein of this series, it made me think this week as I was studying about a game my kids and I like to play called Googly Eyes. We've got a picture, I think, of Googly Eyes for the screen. Has anybody ever played this game before? Well, it's similar to Pictionary in that you draw something and try to get people on your team to figure out what it is you've drawn and guess what you've drawn so that you can score points. The only difference is with googly eyes, while you're drawing it, you have to wear a pair of glasses known as googly eye glasses. Uh, if you're old in here, you may call them beer goggles, right? And so, but you put these on and then you try to draw. Do I look funny up here? I'm not going to move because I do not want to fall off the stage, okay, y'all? So, but you literally, they give you something to draw, and you're trying to draw it even though you can't see, and your team or your family or whatever's trying to figure it out, and it is hilarious. I would greatly encourage you to uh, get this game because it's clean, it's fun, you can have a great time over the holidays with it. Well, what we've been doing during this series is we've been trying to get everyone to wake up to the reality that every single one of us is in the middle of a spiritual war that is taking place all around us. We've been trying to get you guys during this series, and myself included, to take off our flesh glasses that distort everything around us, the glasses we put on that are all about our five senses in the physical realm, and get us to really open up our spiritual eyes so that we can see the things in a spiritual sense. Because spiritual warfare is the fact that there is an invisible realm where there is a war taking place, that dictates and controls everything in the physical realm. We've been in Ephesians chapter 6. We're actually going to end up going through the entirety of it. been going verse by verse. Verses 10 through 20 is where we're going to end up. And in the previous week, weeks, we've went through verses 10 through 15. Let's just do a quick review of what we've went through so far before we get to our piece of armor in verse 16 today. Okay, y'all with me? Say, I am. In week one, we read verses uh, 10 through 13, and we really gave a preface to this series and really unpacked it, uh, when Paul said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Again, we fight this battle in Jesus' strength, not our strength. That's the only way we can win this battle. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So a couple things we read about. Number one, every one of us is in the middle of this spiritual battle and you can't get out of it. In fact, if we go by what scripture tells us, everything in our lives is spiritual. There's nothing that is just happenstance. Number two, for us to fight a spiritual battle, we've got to have spiritual armor and spiritual weapons. We cannot wage war the way the world does in these instances. It finishes up and says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Interesting. We've talked about standing, and we've referenced it a couple of times during this series. 
But the word stand here is so powerful. It's used four different times in this passage. Stand, stand, stand. Why? Well, anybody that's ever been in the military knows that the very first thing you're taught to do when you go into the military to prepare for battle and potentially go to war is they teach you how to stand. They want you to stand in a manner that is confident. They want you to stand in a manner that you are ready to go to battle at any time and you are alert. So put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And then week number two, we talked about the belt of truth. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We said, for our purposes, we said the way we put the belt of truth on is threefold. Number one, we live a life of integrity and character and we tell the truth. Number two, we, we live our lives according to the truth of God's word. And number three, we have a relationship with truth incarnate who is Jesus Christ. Then we went to the breastplate of righteousness where it says in the B part, or really the C part of this verse, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Right being the key word in righteousness, we said the way we put on our breastplate of righteousness is we are right with God as a result of what Jesus did. And really, secondly, uh, we live right. We live right. And then in verse 15, we talk, uh, Jeff did a great job. Man, Jeff last week preached on the shoes of peace. Let's give him a hand because he absolutely crushed it. Man, I'm telling you, great job, bro. He did great. I've told you all before, it's like having Babe Ruth in the batter's box whenever I leave. You know what I mean? And if you missed last week, you were traveling, you're watching online, still out of town, make sure you catch up on last week. It was all about the shoes of peace. It says, it says uh, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Jeff basically said, the way we put our shoes of peace on is we trust God completely no matter what the circumstances of our life is. We have complete trust in Him. And then today we're going to be in verse 16. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Well, we're going to talk about the shield of faith where it says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We've told y'all just about every week that when Paul talks about this spiritual armor, it's really broken up into two different categories. The first three pieces of armor that we've already went over are ones that we're to have, as the Scripture says. In other words, we have them on at all times. We never take them off. We're always using them. The next three pieces of armor, the first of which that we're going to go over today, are the ones that he tells us to take up. Now, when it comes to the shield of faith, I want to point out the translation that we've used, where it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That's not a great translation. The shield of faith kind of falls in the middle of those two categories that I'm telling you about because a better translation can be found in the ESV version that says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. The King Jimmy version, the King James version of the Bible, does an even better job of translating this when it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Think about that for a minute. Of all the pieces of armor that we're supposed to have and be ready to use, the one piece of armor that in the Bible, in the King James Version, it says, above all, above every other piece of armor, take the shield of faith. The CSB says, in every situation, take the shield of faith. Just like with every other piece of armor, we need to really define what faith is before we tell you guys how to put it on and how to use it. Faith is easily defined through Scripture because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us in one verse of Scripture exactly what faith is. 
in the biblical sense where it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We can read further about faith by doing a little bit of digging when we find that the Greek word that's used around 240 times in the Bible for faith is the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And the definition for this Greek word, listen to this, because we're going to reference this several times, okay? We've told you all how these pieces of armor like tie together and link together, okay? The, the definition for the word pistis is acting on truth. Acting on truth. That's the definition for the Greek word that's used for faith. So in other words, faith is tied to an action done in response to a revealed truth. Pastor Tony Evans would put it this way. Listen to what he says. Faith is acting as if something is so, even when it appears not to be so, in order that it might be shown to be so, simply because God said so. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Y'all too tired? I don't know, man. Too much Christmas candy last night? You hung over? So faith is acting as if God is telling the truth through His Word. And so what we're going to find today is, if you don't know truth, faith has no power. It can't perform. In fact, it's, it's impotent in a sense. And the reason for that is, faith is only as valuable as the thing that it's tied to. And so for our purposes today in the context of a church, I feel the need to really spend some time on this so that you understand, really, faith is not feelings. Let me say that again. Faith is not feelings and it is not just emotions. I heard one pastor say that if you feel your way into something, you'll feel your way out of something. You ever notice that? If you feel your way into a relationship, and it's all about the emotions at the beginning of it, you'll feel your way out of that relationship. If you feel your way into a marriage, what happens? You end up feeling your way. If you feel your way into a church, oh, it's so cool, the lights, you know, oh, oh, it's so awesome. You will feel your way out. of. If you feel your way into a supposed relationship with Jesus, and it's just an emotional moment, You will absolutely feel your way out of it. And the reason is, feelings are circumstantial, but faith is a choice that we make. One of the greatest theologians that there's ever been, A.W. Tozer, puts it this way, any faith that must be supported by the evidence of the senses is not real faith. So faith is not based on how you feel. Faith instead is based on your feet and where you go. And as Christians, what we're going to see, we're commanded to do is to act on truth. Remember that definition, whether we like it, whether we agree with it, or whether we even want to. And, and let me say this. The way we do this is we act in faith first, then our feelings and our emotions follow. And the reason I say that is because most Christians and most people do the exact opposite. They say, you know what? Until I get over it, that's when I'll start doing what the Bible tells me to do and how I'm going to start acting in faith. First you act in faith, then your feelings follow. You don't wait on your emotions and your feelings and then start doing what God says, if that makes sense. I've been in full-time ministry for about 16 or 17 years. And 99% of what my wife and I and my kids and I have experienced in full-time ministry has been incredible. 
We have seen God do some incredible things. People have gotten saved. We've seen revivals break out in churches and and God have his hand on people and people step into their purpose and start making a difference. And and we've seen some incredible things. But that 1% that we've been through that hasn't been that has been incredibly difficult. Y'all, there's been stuff we've been through in churches that have been so hard. I mean, we've seen people lie about me, and we've heard people make up stuff about me and my wife. And guys, there's been people that have attacked, not physically attacked, but attacked my kids when they were like five years old, saying stuff about them, treating them different. Like all kinds of crazy stuff has happened. When those things have happened in my ministry, it took everything within me. But the first thing that I tried to do, and I did, I think pretty well, was I acted in faith. I would immediately, when people would hurt me, start to pray for them and pray crazy prayers for them. People that in in my emotions and in my feelings, I just wanted to go UFC on them. Y'all know what I'm saying? And ground and pound them. And I could do it. I used to do MMA. Like I could even make it look like an accident. You know what I'm saying? But, But like I didn't. I'd start praying and I'd start saying, God, I pray you bless them. I pray crazy stuff in faith. Take care of them, God. I pray crazy stuff. I pray that you bless them more than you bless me. I pray you take care of that church and bless them more than you bless Rev Church. Crazy stuff. And what ended up happening was God started to work out my feelings because I was stepping out in faith. Does that make sense to everybody? So it's not all about our feelings. It's all about stepping out in faith. What we're going to find today, and really the question that hopefully you're going to be able to answer today, is the idea that, Everyone has faith in something. The question is, do you have faith in the right things or singularly the right thing? Or do you have faith in the wrong things? Because as we see as we go through this, faith in the right thing, better said, faith in the right person, our Lord Jesus Christ, when you have faith in the right person, it offers spiritual protection to every single part of your life. My dad lives in Dayton, Tennessee which is like southeast of here. And for me to get to Dayton, Tennessee, I have to go down 127 South to drive down there to him. How many of you guys have ever been down 127 South out towards Homestead if you're new to the area? Okay, when you get on 127 South, inevitably what happens is you get behind a log truck. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's the worst, man. If you're just driving a short distance, it's not bad. But when I'm driving an hour, it turns into an hour and 20 minutes when you get behind a log truck. You know what I'm saying? Well, one day... I was behind a log truck, and I was following pretty far behind him. I wasn't right up on him, uh, but I had to follow him because you can't pass him. It's all curvy and everything. And a piece of a log came flying off that log truck, a big piece. It looked like a big piece to me. It came flying off that log truck, and it hit the ground, and it bounced up, and it's heading straight for my face. But I was inside my car, and in between me and this log was my wind shield. The windshield absorbed the impact, didn't even crack it, bounced right off, hit the next car. Probably killed them, I don't know, you know what I mean? But No, it didn't. That's bad. But it protected me. This is the idea with faith in the right things, is that we have a shield that protects us fully and completely. The Roman shield that Paul was talking about was a shield that was around four feet high, two and a half feet wide, This is a great example right here. And this would be the size of a door at the time. Back then, people weren't as tall as us and weren't as as, uh, big as we are. And so this is like the size of a door. And it was designed 
for a soldier to crouch behind just like a windshield and completely protect them. So, so we're going to talk about this shield today. And what the shield does is pretty simplistic, right? It blocks things from hitting you. But where we're going to spend our time today is talking about how we put the shield on and how we use it in the most effective manner because that's not quite as easy to unpack. So I'm going to give you three things to do to put your shield on and make sure you're using it in the most effective manner. Are you with me? Say, I am. Number one, the shield of faith must be side by side with other believers' shield. Listen to me when I say it. This is like the easiest point for you to act on starting now in your life. The shield of faith must be side by side with other believers' shield. Shields, plural. Paul knew when he was referring to uh, Roman armor, specifically the shield, that the Romans had a formation. And I believe the way you pronounce it is the Tustuido formation, T-U-E-S-T-U-D-O formation, also known as the tortoise formation. We've got a picture of what's known as the tortoise formation that we're going to put up on the screen right here. He knew that this formation was used to win the majority of battles and the majority of wars. In fact, for Roman soldiers to even storm the gates of a city or storm the walls of a city, they had to have this type of formation because people would stand on top of the walls and throw things at them, and this would shield them. And the only way this is possible is if all the shoulders link their shields together. There's some in the front, there's some over the top, and it really functions like a tank that could run up on a wall. Well, we need to understand the only way, this kind of reminds me of Matthew chapter 16, the only way that the church can storm the gates of hell is if believers have their shields of faith linked together in a tortoise formation. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. This is what we do in the church. This is why Jesus said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. More on that later. We're going to come back to this several times in this sermon. But this is why you need community and a small group and other believers in your life so that they can connect to your shield and protect this side of you. And when your shield's kind of dropping a little bit because you're worn out and you're beat up and you can't do it anymore, you've got somebody else that's protecting you with their shield. They're protecting you from above. They're protecting you from behind. They're protecting you from every angle. This is how the church functions. See, contrary to what we think in the United States, church is not a fashion show. It's not a place you go just to be seen for political reasons. It's not about a denomination or some kind of denominationalism. Church is not about a set of traditions. Church is not about a building. It's the first thing we all think of. When we think of a church, we think of a building. Revolution, yeah, that's the church at the mall. No, it's not. It's the church that is sitting their butts in the seats right now in front of me. That's Revolution Church. And we got to keep that in mind over the next several years as we get a permanent space. But church is not about a building. Church is not about an online stop or a website or a logo or anything like that. Church is the place where Jesus commanded that we do life together. Amen, Rev Church. And listen, I know the church is made up of people. That's what we are, the ecclesia, the gathering, the called out ones. So when the church is messy... Guess what? It's really messy. 
and it's really jacked up and it's really messed up. Y'all know what I'm saying? How many of y'all know that church is messy? Raise your hand, raise your hand, okay? If you don't have your hand up right now, you're the messy one that drives everybody nuts, okay? Some of y'all are like, no, church is great. Nobody's ever messy and drives me crazy. No, you're driving everybody nuts, okay? You need to repent. And somebody needs to speak some truth in it. I'm just kidding. But I'm not. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's messy. But when the church functions the way it's supposed to function according to what Scripture says, it's the most beautiful thing that you will ever experience on this earth. It's unbelievable how beautiful it is. One of the founding passages of Scripture for Revolution Church was Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, a very familiar story. You'll know it when I start to unpack it. But there's a man who's paralyzed and uh, can't move, can't do anything, can't, can't even pull himself up onto a gurney or a mat. But luckily, this guy has some friends. And these friends take their friend who's paralyzed, put him on a mat. They take him to a house where Jesus is preaching. But the house is so packed out with people because everybody wanted to hear Jesus, they couldn't get him inside. So they get creative working together. They assemble together and get creative. And they take their friend up on the roof and they create a hole in the roof. They tie ropes to this guy's bed or gurney, I guess, if you will, and and they lower him down to Jesus. And the picture in my mind is always, like it used to be, this guy's lowered down onto the floor, but the house was so packed nobody could get in. So I think what happened was they lowered the guy, and he's hovering above Jesus on a bed. And they're screaming down to Jesus, can you heal our friend? Can you heal our friend? We just wanted to get him to you because there's a chance you could heal him. And I picture Jesus in my head looking up, seeing the man, and then seeing not just the man, but seeing his friends and saying, because of their faith, their, plural, not just the man who was sick, but the friends as well, you are healed. Rise up, take your mat, and walk. That's a picture of the church, y'all. It's a beautiful picture of how the church organizes together in order to get people to Jesus, but it's also a beautiful picture because at some point in your life, you're going to be so exhausted spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, that you're not even going to be able to get yourself up on a gurney. You sure as heck are not going to be able to climb up on the roof. You're not going to have the capacity to think, maybe I could create a hole in the roof. You're going to need people that tie those ropes to your bed and lower you down to Jesus, or you're going to have no hope. This is why we link our shields together. This is why you get involved in the church. This is why you have other believers in your life. You have, churches called it many things, a small group, a Sunday school class, Christian people that love Jesus and love you. And they'll call you out and they'll hold you accountable, but also, man, they're there to hold your arms up for you when you can't hold them up. They're there to bear your burdens for you and walk with you so that you can find freedom from whatever it is that you're up against. So the shields must be interlocked with other believers' shields. Secondly, y'all still with me? Say, I am. The shield of faith is active. We've established just in telling you about the tortoise formation that the shield is not just a defensive weapon. In many cases, the shield was presumably used to be as an offensive weapon. It was something that was used to push enemies back. Uh, it was something that may have been used to strike enemies. And so the shield of faith is not just defensive, it's active. 
Well, when we look at James chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, you've heard these verses before. Listen to what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In other words, if you have no deeds, you don't have a shield of faith. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. To put it in workout phrases that I'm aware of because I'm a gym rat. I know I don't look at it, but I do go to the gym, look like it, but I do go to the gym. Your faith is either going to atrophy or it's going to hypertrophy. It's either going to get weaker or stronger. I guess what I'm saying, because I'm trying to thread a needle today with a couple of different points is, you're either in your faith walk with Jesus going to have less endurance or more endurance. Rarely does it stay the same. It's either going to grow or it is going to get weaker. Um, I try to do workouts that physically challenge me because, you know, I sit around and study all the time. I don't do anything active anymore as a pastor. And I saw a workout a couple weeks ago. I was like, man, I I should do that one. I I could totally do that. That would not be fun, but it would be good for me to have to do this physically and and challenge me. And it was a thousand burpee workout. Does everybody know what a burpee is? Raise your hand if you know what a burpee is. Okay, burpees are torture, right? But I saw this working, and I was like, man, you know, I'm watching some people online doing it. It took them about an hour and a half, two hours. And I was like, well, that sounds better than me than like a marathon, you know, because running, just I'd rather shoot my foot with a nail gun than run, you know what I mean? And so I would shoot my foot with a nail gun just not to run. Y'all know, anybody with me? You know what I mean? And so, so uh, I thought, man, it would be really cool to do this 1,000 burpee workout. That would be cool. But I thought to myself and quickly realized, like, there's no way I could do 1,000 burpees right now. Like, I can't do this workout tomorrow. If I do, I'll be in the hospital. I'll be in what they call rhabdo. You know, my body's going to shut down because I do not have the endurance to do this. So I made a plan, and I said, okay, I'm going to start doing 10 burpees a day tomorrow, and I'm going to add 10 every single day. And when I get to where I can do about 250 to 300, I'm just going to go for 1,000 and see how far I can go. See, I understood that I had an end goal that I wanted to do a 1,000 burpees, but in order me, for me to make it to that goal, I had to go through several workouts that are extremely difficult to be able to do that. Because, see, when you work out, the previous workouts you've been through that were extremely difficult make your muscles stronger and give them more endurance so that you can handle the workout that you're going to have to go through next. And faith is no different. Listen to me when I say this. Faith is no different. The testing of your faith that you've been through, the hard things that you have endured, has built endurance in your faith life so that you can handle the things that are coming that you could never handle if you hadn't been through the difficult things you've already been through. Does this make sense to everybody? Some of you guys are in one of those seasons right now, and you need to be encouraged that God is allowing this to happen because he's building endurance in you. Man, have joy in the middle of the testing that you're going through. One theologian puts it this way. Faith means acting on what God says in spite of what you know, your background, your experience, your education, or your feelings. 
Think about the fact that Jesus was quoted once as saying this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That had to do with money, yes, but the concept goes much deeper. It goes much deeper. This is why we encourage you guys to serve. It's not just so we can keep a church going, because it's good for you, and it builds your faith and builds endurance. This is why we talk about the growth track every single week, and we say, listen, if you want to discover your purpose, and you want to start making a difference, go to the growth track, get in there, figure out what it is you're supposed to do, and then sign up and start serving, because it builds endurance in your faith. This is why we do stuff like, we've got to build a facility so we can reach more people. And we're doing the legacy campaign, and we're pushing you guys to give like you've never given before. Sacrifice like you've never sacrificed before, because when you sacrifice and you give, it builds endurance in your faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, one of my life verses says this. Listen to what this says. This has to do with, with faith being active, like the shield of faith is active. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by, what's that word, y'all? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the shield of faith is linked with other believers. The shield of faith is active. And finally, thirdly, and this is going to be the one that it may rub you. You may learn something. Maybe you've never heard what I'm getting ready to teach you, but just hang with me, okay? The shield of faith must be soaked in God's word. Now, that's simplistic in itself, but I'm going to unpack something here. The shield of faith must be soaked in God's word. Romans' shields had a piece of leather that covered them. And it would either be on the front or the back or in between two boards. There would be a large, thick piece of leather. And before the Romans would go to war or to battle, they would soak this leather in water and get it extremely damp. And the reason was is so that when they went into battle and the enemy started to shoot not just arrows, but flaming arrows, the leather that was wet would extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. This is what Paul is referring to. We've already established in the previous weeks that the word that's used for the schemes of the enemy is a plural word, which indicates that there are countless and endless infinity schemes that the enemy has. Infinity flaming arrows that the enemy has to shoot at us. Some of those are temptation, doubt, anger, frustration. Here's a, here's a, here's a sneaky one, man, pride. Anybody struggle with pride? Raise your hand. Okay, if you just raised your hand, you probably don't struggle with pride. But if you just sat there and thought, man, I don't struggle with pride, but boy, I sure am praying for so-and-so. They need to hear this pride point. You're the one that has pride. Everybody with me? Man, these are quiet when I, when I start going through these, right? Despair. The fiery arrow of fear, guilt, shame, confusion, deception, discouragement, depression, hopelessness, greed, lust, presumption, stubbornness, laziness, suspicion, jealousy, hate, wrath, discord, conflict. I mean, surely I hit you with one of those. Well, the way that we extinguish these arrows is we soak our shield of faith in God's word. Now, I'm getting ready to unpack a theological truth to you that's pretty heavy, and I'm going to do the best I can to unpack this in the time that I've got allotted left. 
And I want you to follow me and think of it in its context, not just singular statements that I'm going to make, okay? I am not saying your faith doesn't matter. I'm not preaching predestination, and I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel because at any point during this, I could see where you could take that and go from A to Z and run with it. But I'm going to make this statement, and then I'm going to unpack it. Faith does not make God move. Understand this. This is so important. Faith does not make God move. Faith instead accesses what God has already done. I'm not talking about faith in the sense of a spiritual gift that can be given to someone. I'm talking about faith in the sense and the faith that every believer has when they put their trust in Christ. As a Christian, you already have all the faith that you need. Let me say this again. As a Christian, you already have all the faith that you need. Maybe you've heard a TV preacher, a prosperity preacher, a healing preacher, or somebody said to you in your life when you were going through a difficult time, you just need to have more faith. That is not true. You don't need more faith. You need to trust what God has already said. You see how these pieces of armor link together. In other words, you need to have peace in the truth of what God says. See, Jesus was even quoted, and maybe this is kind of confusing to you, as saying, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. You don't need more faith if you're a Christian. You need to know more truth. Faith is the point of access, not the source of power for us. The power is in what God has already declared and done in grace when you got saved. And what that does is it gives you access to all that God has in store for you, or to put it another way, it gives you access to all of the promises of God that you can find in Scripture. All faith does is draw on the grace that God has already put on deposit in you. So my encouragement to you today is stop looking for more faith and start learning and listening to more truth. Why do you say that, Josh? I'm so glad you asked. A verse of Scripture that we pull out of context and we use it in the term, like with evangelism all the time, rightfully so. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through what, y'all? Word of God. Let's say that together. Okay, one, two, three. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. See, the problem today is people have a misconception of how to put the shield of faith on and how it protects them. And most Christians, especially in America today, are practicing a form of Christianity. And I'm not hating on you, okay? 
you remember a few months ago when I said, even if you go to sleep in here, we'd rather you, you know, come get half a meal <laughs> than nothing at all, right? So we're not judging you and we're not hating on you, but most Christians in America for, practice this form of Christianity where they never study their Bible, they don't know any truth, they're completely biblically illiterate, they go to church about 1.7 times a month, that's the norm for somebody that's committed to a church. I'm talking about hardcore people that are committed to a church, typically uh, you know, they, they go about 1.7 times a month, which is about right with us. We track it through the kids' ministry about 1.7 times a month. And that's if you're, like, super engaged and committed to Revolution Church. Again, I'm not judging you. Most Christians give about 1% to 2% of what they make to anything, not just church, but to anything. And because they don't know truth and their faith is not active, it's kind of like, in a sense, they're, they're trying to block the fiery darts of the enemy with this. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Man, so many visuals in the Bible. I love it, right? Figuratively speaking. It's like, like whoa, the enemy's attacking. Oh, I'm going to get behind this. Uh. Am I exposed still, y'all? Hey, family, family, wife. Hey, everybody get behind my shield. Oh, the enemy's attacking. Your marriage is, oh, don't know anything. When what God meant for you was not this, but again, shout out to the sheriff's department for helping us out with this, but was for you to have something like this instead. It's a little different, isn't it? You learn God's word, you learn truth. You put the fiery darts of that, your, your shield is soaked in the living water, Jesus, who is the word of God. And when those fiery darts come, oh, I gotta hide. I gotta get behind my shield. Family, get behind the shield. People in my life that I'm praying for that I love, they're going through something. Get behind my shield. It's linked up with yours. I'll, I'll, I'll protect your backside. I'll protect you from the top. It's a little more effective. You've got to know truth. See, let me say something to you. And this is so applicational. It's so simple. Let me read that scripture again. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. What you're listening to is either depositing faith into your life and giving you endurance or it's depositing doubt. See, you think we're just getting together for church on Sundays because it's like the cultural thing to do. I mean, here we are, Revolution Church, off Genesis Road in Crossville, Tennessee. I mean, how much more Bible Belt can you get than that? You know, know what I'm saying? But what we're doing here when we come together and we sing songs about the gospel and scripture, you hear a sermon, and this is why we go through books of the Bible verse by verse. It's so important that you find a church that does that doesn't just get up and give motivational talks. No, it's scripture. Is we're depositing faith into you. That's why the weeks that you go to church, the next couple of days are a little easier than the weeks when you skip because you watch Tennessee football the night before and you're hungover. You know what I'm saying? You ever notice that? I mean, seriously, the next couple of days you're thinking about something that I said or somebody said in the pulpit. Yeah, Pastor, I can't even tell you how many times this week people said that. Shoes of peace from Jeff. Boy, I just kept that. Just now, somebody in the hallway. 
they, they had to put their dog down this week. They don't have kids. Their dog's like their kids. They've had a hard week, and they're like, I got my shoes a piece on. I got my shoes a piece on. You see how practical this is, y'all? It's not just a social thing. What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of shows are you listening to? You know, when you work out, I would encourage you. Think about it this way. Are you depositing faith or are you depositing doubt? Listen to Christian music. Deposits faith. All the devil music, all the hippity-hoppity, whatever, you know, <laughs> booty music and stuff like that, you know. Sorry, Pastor Donovan, don't shake your head, okay? I know I'm old. You know? It's depositing doubt. You listening to Game of Thrones? It's depositing doubt. We're not even going to get into the lamp of the body, which is the eye. We'll, we'll just talk about what we're listening to. Are you listening to sermons? Every morning when I wake up, I try to get up about an hour or two before the rest of my family gets up because, just to be honest with you, they drive me insane. It's the only time of the day that I get some peace. And dad, Dad's in here. You know what I'm talking about. Not my wife, though. I love her. She doesn't do anything to me, but my kids do. And uh, I love them. But uh, I get up at 5.30, late at 6 every single day. Everybody else usually gets up sometime between 7 and 8. And the first thing I do when I get up is I make my coffee, and I get the Bible app open, and I turn on the Bible and start listening to it. And i got to admit, I'm ADD, so i got to do it on double time. It's on double time, and I listen to it. And listen, sometimes, like, I'll sit there for 30 minutes because I'm just not awake. I, I usually don't spend my prayer time in the first 30 minutes. I'm just kind of groggy. Sometimes I intently listen, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I couldn't tell you what I heard, but... I'm thinking like subconsciously, that's got to deposit some faith in me. I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm good at falling asleep, but I wake up in the middle of the night, and my mind gets going, and I can't get back to sleep. So, so most of the time what I do is I turn on the Bible app. I just listen to it, and it puts me to sleep. It'll stay on all night sometimes. Yeah, I'm asleep, but that's got to be better than turning on something else and going to sleep. You know what I mean? Sound machine's great. Nothing wrong with that. But, man, God's Word's depositing something in me. You see how this works? You need God's word. See, this funny thing happens, and I'm almost done. When you connect your faith to truth, you soak your shield in God's word. You start to understand, and, and this is really what faith does for us. And that's why it says, you know, Hebrews 1, what did it say? Don't let me get it wrong, okay? Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. You start to understand that we are people, and you've heard this phrase before, as Christians, we fight from victory, not for victory. Amen, Rep Church? It's already done because of what Jesus has done. The promises are there. So we fight from victory, not for victory. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. Looks like it's active. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. What's those next three words? Y'all read them with me. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? I love it when the Bible does these sarcastic questions. Who is it that overcomes the world? Well, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
My favorite movie from the 90s is a movie called The Sandlot. You guys have probably seen me wear Sandlot shirts and jerseys and stuff up here. And uh, my favorite character in the Sandlot movie is a guy named Squints. He's the little, little dorky dude with glasses who kisses the lifeguard. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a great movie. Go watch it. If you, everybody seen The Sandlot? Everybody seen The If you haven't, get out. Okay? So, no, I'm just kidding. So, I'm just kidding. You don't have to leave. But my favorite character is Squints. And there's this point in the movie where the new kid Smalls is trying to join their baseball team in the Sandlot. And Squints is trying to convince Benny, who's the jock of the group, that they shouldn't let Smalls onto the team. And Squints looks at Benny, and we've got a picture of it. He looks at Benny, and he goes, don't let the kid come on because he is an L. And me and my, me and my son Titus, we say this all the time to each other. Yeah, we're mean to each other, but like we, we, we love this thing. He says, don't let him on. The kid is a square. He's an L7 weenie. Everybody, make an L7. Hold it up like this. Hold it up like this. And say it with me. L7 weenie. And for you negative ninnies that didn't do that with me just now, look at the person next to you. Hold this up to their face. Okay? And say, L7 weenie. Listen to me, Rev Church. L7 weenie means he's a loser. This is what we do in my generation, right? He's going to cause us to lose. You are not an L7 weenie. You are the righteousness of Christ. Nowhere in Scripture does it say we beg for victory. No, we are fighting from victory, not for victory. We know that God has won the battle and won the war. And even if you're in the middle of something difficult now that God is allowing to happen, you know This is just building endurance in me. Because i got something bigger coming down the road that this is going to get me ready for. I've got a testimony that's going to help other people get through. My shield is linked to theirs, and I tell them, this is what happened to me, and I made it through. God got me through. We're going to close today with a prayer that we're going to say together. We're going to put it up on the screen, and we're going to read this together, and then we'll be done. And when we say this prayer, I want you to say it, not just read it. Is everybody with me? Say amen. I want you to say this. Some of y'all need this, man. It's holiday time, and most of us are happy, but some of y'all are super depressed. You've had a hard year. You've went through a divorce. You're mourning. You've lost somebody you love. You've, you've made a bad decision this year. You've done something stupid. You're looking for freedom. You had sex before marriage, and you're trying to, trying to get rid of that in your life and find freedom from that. So we're going to say this together. This is your opportunity not to just have a feeling or an emotion, but sometimes when we do things in the physical, it can break things in the spiritual. That's very clear through Scripture. So let's say this together on the count of three. Let's read this together. Can everybody see it? Say, yeah. Okay, it's on the TVs if you can't see the bottom because my big fat head's in the way. Okay, so let's do this. One, two, three. Through faith, I believe Jesus saved me. By faith in Christ, I will not be conquered by the enemy. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I am covered by the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace that gives me peace. By faith, I believe what Jesus says about me. I am not who the devil says I am. I am who Christ says I am. I am God's child. I belong to Him. By faith, I believe in all the promises Jesus has given me. 
I am fighting from victory, not for victory. Let's give God some praise, y'all. Come on. Lord, I just pray for every single person in here, God. It's been a long sermon today. I was off last week, and I went long, so thank you for their patience with me. I pray, God, that someone has borrowed some of our faith in here today. I pray, God, that we have learned how to put on and use most effectively faith in our lives. I pray you be with us as we go out this week. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.